Welcome to the Distinct Poplar Audio Fiction Podcast, written and read by Matt Herzberg from distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled The Germlax, Part 1. Somewhere once, in a city that forgot to stay clean. Bren Allah couldn't believe what his eyes were seeing. A discovery so great, so simple, so unexpected, that the whole misfortunate lot of his life changed suddenly upon finding it. The boy's hands gingerly pulled away the pieces of his expended trap, his fingers cautiously discarding the pins and coils that enabled it to snap into place. For if this unexpected quarry escaped due to a hasty mistake, his heart would leap out of his chest. And for this reason, he sighed deeply, wiped the budding sweat of anticipation from his brow, and resumed with a slow and cautious pace. There, in the alley behind the old motor coach factory, Amongst the trash, the rusted metal bars, and surrounded by pitted brick walls from the surrounding buildings, there on the ground, in plain sight, and dangling above the bait that he had left in his makeshift trap, was a Germlach. The boy could not believe his amazing fortune that had graced him, for he knew better than almost anyone how valuable an animal like this was especially when it had thought to have been hunted to the point of extinction, when men stalked the sewers with nets in search of the friendly creatures. Men like Aulbrennen Alec, Bren's grandfather, desperately seeking the qualities that a beast like the Germlach had to offer. This Germlach, an actual living specimen, was about the size of a house cat, with a long serpentine body that ended in a tail and began with a saurian-like head. It had two glassy black eyes embedded comfortably in mounds of molten brown-colored scales that stretched in large diamond shapes over the creature's pate and down its back, where the coloring would ultimately splatter into patterns of smaller pieces by the time that it reached the creature's clawed feet. You're a female, observed Bren, as he noticed the coloration of subdued reds and purples splattering across her legs like paint. Easy camouflage to help the Germlach hide on the dark red chunky bark of the trees of the area, long before there was the city of distinct poplar. Way before his grandfather's time, when everything around was still frontier country as far as the eye could see, That was where one used to hunt the Germlach, in the old swamplands that this stinking city would eventually be built upon. That much was in Bren's textbook in school, minus any mention of the Germlachs, as if they had never existed. But the boy knew that they had in fact existed back then, due to his grandfather. Back then, the hunters would be clubbing the trunks of the dark red trees like beating a drum, shaking the creatures free, dropping them from the branches above like overripe fruit, 
safely caught into a waiting sacks, held open to receive them. But this one, his Germlack, caught precariously and by chance in a simple trap, it was a marvel to him, for he had never seen one outside the old dusty tomes and bestiaries that his grandfather had kept. His grandfather had been an expert of things like the Germlack. Back then, in his grandfather's day, he was Master Albrenin Alak, keeper of exotic beasts known citywide. He was the one who taught large, colorful birds to recite poetry, who taught deadly predatory jungle cats to lap milk from the awaiting palms of wealthy socialites. They applauded him a long time ago, lavishing him in luxury when he brought them the Germlack, a creature that even back then was thought to be extinct, only existing in story till his grandfather brought them back into the public eye. Then everyone started searching for them. Then they found them, and the Germlack became extinct. Those days were long gone, however, and his grandfather gone with them, or at least the man he used to be. He had become the crazy old vagabond Albrenin when his time had passed. He lived in an old neighborhood of the city, separated, isolated, forgotten. A set of wild and crazy eyes, an old and frail body, a beard stained from white to yellow around his mouth and ears. That was how Bren remembered him, the old fool kept to himself, living out his days in an entire building filled with old things from his adventures. There were heads of exotic beasts on the walls. Traps and gear haphazardly spread over every available table and countertop, and he had animal pens in the basement, too, for the kinds of things he caught in the city and kept and cared for. To what end, nobody really knew. And when his grandfather had passed, Bren's father, Brennan, took over the building and everything stored within it, like a secret abandoned warehouse of hunter things that was just waiting to be plundered. Focusing back on his own custom-made beast trap, what Bren found next was that she, the Germlack, was injured from the mechanism that made it snap so closed effectively. Crawling in through the top of the cage for the sweet smell it tasted in the air on its split tongue, the Germlack must have triggered the trap in search of the dried meat coated with nectar, baited from a thin cord knotted securely at the top of the cage. The trap had been sprung. The cage had snapped shut on her legs and tail, forcing her to dangle upside down. A perfect spot to lick the meat dry, even as the Germlack was stuck in place, patiently waiting for the distracted teenage amateur hunter to come along, who pulled his earbuds in one swift tug when he found her like this. His prize. The trap itself had not been set for a Germlack, but instead a six-legged rodent scavenger. If not for the cage clamped on her hind section, she could have easily squeezed back through the bars and escaped back into the city's complex sewer system. If that hadn't been enough good luck, upon further examination of her, his amazing discovery grew even more extraordinary. 
Something so incredible that Bren slapped himself across his cheeks to make sure he was not dreaming. The Germlach was a mother. Her babies were the size of small kittens, and they had easily squeezed themselves through the bars to nestle in beneath their dangling mother. When Bren pulled away the pieces of cardboard and the broken shards of concrete that he had used as weights, he saw three pairs of blinking eyes timidly peeking out from under the adult, swaying back and forth. A calm demeanor played across her gentle features, a reassurance that the family was under no threat. It was as if he could almost feel his own heart stopping inside of his chest at the discovery of this nearly impossible find. He was forced to sit down in front of the family of Germlax and rest off the shock, leaning his back against an overflowing city dumpster and breathing deeply in repetition for the dizziness to recede from his head. It was as if the remnants of his old grandfather's past life were now a possibility again. As he sat there, clutching at his head, trying to wrap his mind around what this meant, the stories of his grandfather came to life. Stories he told Bren before the boy fell asleep every night. The stories of extraordinary creatures, and the extraordinary life he had led because of them. Beautiful women and extravagant dresses. Large beds with perfumed sheets, silver trays of food, extravagant parties, black ties and canes and top hats, wild rides and old motor cars, and gallivanting like kings and queens of the city. These were the things that the boy had never known in his 13 years, an age of the city's opulence and luxury before the Germlachs had gone extinct. The sensationalism of that time seemed almost dignified in its bright, silver-gilded recklessness. The boy was in love with his grandfather's old stories of that time, and how could he not be? After all, the city of distinct poplar now was a dirty and gritty, dark and depressing place. Not the special, fantastical place his grandfather had always described at bedtime. Slowly, patiently, Cautiously, he returned to the trap where the family of Germlax had been left. The mother didn't shudder or twist when he slowly released the clamp. The babies didn't scurry away at his presence. After all, Germlax were recorded in the old books as being kind and creative creatures that let people approach them if they sensed that the person approaching had no intent to hurt them. And at this point, all Bren wanted to do was safely release the female from his trap, despite the sins of his family's past, despite contributing to their diminishing numbers, to the point where, until now, there were none of these fantastic creatures left. Easily, he pulled back the lid of the cage, which had snapped into place as soon as the trap had been sprung by the hungry female. He gently held the Germlach by its side with one of his sweaty hands and removed the clasps and the latch, and then pulled it away from the female's skin. Once he was sure he, she would not struggle, and make potential injuries worse, he carefully cradled her closer, nestling her to his chest, like she was his own, like he was the only boy in the world with a pet Germlach. 
From those old dusty tomes, he knew exactly how to hold these creatures and to care for them. That was what had made him such an expert. One held a germlag like they would hold a snake, letting her wrap her tail and body around the forearm, but gently let the head rest on your hand instead of holding it by the neck between your fingers. The female tried to do this, but had trouble from her injuries. He could see open wounds from where the lid of his trap had broken the scales and ruined her hip. The baby Gurmlaks followed their mother out of the cage, most likely in the same way that they had followed her into it. With his other hand, he held out his palm for the younglings to attach their tails around his outstretched fingers. And then came his next surprise though not nearly as amazing as the first two. This discovery was more curious, more a matter of circumstance. At first, he had thought there were only three younglings, but in fact, there was a fourth baby, Gurmlak. This one didn't move, however. It laid in the center of the cage, coiled in on itself. The other three, the living younglings, had been standing on top of the fourth, using it in effort like a stepping stool to lick their mother's saurian beak with their tiny forked tongues. When Bren came along, they had fallen back to remain on the safe side, covering their sibling up. Just a guess, but one that seemed to be true the closer he examined the lot of them. With his new discovery, it was important for him to make a decision about the family of Gurmlax. Would he keep them, or would he set them free? With an injured mother, the younglings would die without her care, feeding them it left little for the mother, and after their birth, she was probably already weak. Climbing head first lethargically into the top of his trap was an easy meal that led her to her injury, which meant that now the survival of the younglings depended on Bren. The boy decided that he should at least take them somewhere safe back to the ominous sanctuary that his family had retained after his grandfather had died. That was the only place that was left for them, after his parents had taken away all of the other things his grandfather had given him over the years. At the old building, there were medicines he could use to treat the mother Gurmlak. There were also the old bestiaries, the books he had studied which would be invaluable to see after their needs. He could bring them to his grandfather's old home to take care of them, and then set the family free after she had recovered. Nobody had to know, not even his parents. He'd make something up. Ever since grandfather had passed, there was very little attention for Bren these days. His mother and father spent most of their time arguing with each other. No time to notice how long the boy would be away, or if he was even gone. More time for them to squabble, to cry, to bicker, to spit out angry things at one another. Bren carried many things with him to check on his traps. New bait, a canteen, an old knife, a long coil of rope, oil and grease. Everything and more for what one might need to hunt strange things in the city that forgot to stay clean. All of it valued highly by him, as the stuff had come from his grandfather's home. Valued until now. Short, quick tugs loosened the ties of his backpack, slowly pouring all of it out. Carefully, steadily, quietly, piece by piece, object by object, hoping not to spook the Gurmlaks. 
Finally done, he carefully placed the injured mother in the bottom of the bag and set it down at his feet. Holding his breath, he waited patiently, the drumming of his pulse thumping in his temples. Uncoiling their tiny bodies from his hands and fingers, the babies slowly climbed in to join her with what seemed like not a care in the world. Like a child exposed with glee, he snatched up the pack in his fingers, practically bouncing to his feet, as if there was a coiled spring in his back. The old grizzled hunter of beasts would be proud of him, and it felt as if his feet were weightless as he began to strut away from the trap, away from the pile of his belongings left on the alley floor, away from the remaining unmoving germ-like youngling, which caused him pause. Given that the animals were thought to be extinct, given that it was his grandfather Albrenin himself who hunted them mercilessly, a germlag, especially one that was already dead, or mostly dead, was a value that should not be wasted. The pack was secure. The remaining germlags would not escape if he took extra time to retrieve the body of the fourth youngling. It was dead. He found that out after enough time had passed without the small snake-like creature breathing. He couldn't very well put it in the bag with the others. They had already been around it long enough, and the scent of a dead Gurmlak was an issue the longer it sat. Bren found a sandwich in a plastic bag amongst his things, which he emptied quickly to place the dead youngling easily within it. Then he headed to his grandfather's old home, whistling, dancing in his own steps. He crossed the river from the old industrial sector, the Faxon Beard Bridge, and made his way back through the city to the large three-story building of his destination. All around him, the normal, dirty, and depressing seemed strangely uplifting. The building seemed less shabby, the concrete seemed less cracked. There were fewer potholes in the blacktop and the lights of the crosswalk seemed unusually bright and colorful. When he arrived, he made sure nobody was looking as he climbed the chain-link fence and scurried through an unlocked basement window that he had left open for his next visit. With nervous fingers, he undid the pack and laid it down in one of the many pens in the basement. It was all so strange as if it had been a dream or a fantasy, and now he almost expected rocks to come tumbling out instead of the, his amazing find. It was all a matter of self-doubt, which caused him to breathe hoarsely until several small saurian heads poked out from the end. Looking around the room with their tiny black eyes, it was as if they were scouting for their mother, whom slowly made her way out of the pack arching her back and full-stepping one clawed foot in pain. Bren had taken his time to retrieve his grandfather's old medicine kit. Salves and herbs and bandages of which he used to treat the mother's wounds after she had been gently sedated. He took the time he had in order to make sure that nothing would go wrong. Then he went out shopping to find fresh vegetables, fruits, and syrup for the youngsters. For there wasn't anything to eat in the house, except for his grandfather's supply of old rations. 
All of this care took the day away from him, and when he was done, he made sure there was one last thing before he could retire for the evening. The Dead Youngling He had to be extra careful with the body and where it was kept. A Gurmlach who's dead will spook living Gurmlachs if it's kept too long. It had something to do with the way they smell when deceased, when little forked tongues slipped from little dry mouths, and the normally glassy inquisitiveness of their eyes were brushed away with a dull, lifeless opacity. But the smell was something different entirely, not overly noticeable by the untrained nose, or so the old books had said. Over the normal smells of death and decay, that was, the stink of a dead Kermlach. What he had to do now was dispose of the body, away from the old building and more importantly from the pens in the basement, away from the grounds of the immediate area from his family's home. It was like the words of his grandfather always used to say, You can't dig deep enough to disguise a dead Kermlach. Bren put together a new pack with a new knife, a collapsible spade, some matches, and a bottle of water. All of the other things one would need to dig a deep hole and get rid of a body of a thing. He wasn't sure how far he should travel out from the boundaries of his grandfather's home. One could not be too careful in this part of the city. Paratox Park was an old neighborhood, and old neighborhoods were sometimes more dangerous with age. There was the problem of what to do with the family of living Gurmlachs once the mother was recovered. Again the question came up as he slipped the pouch around his shoulder and headed out into the night. Should he keep them, or release them back into the wild? As he walked by the neon glow of the humming city streetlights, he pondered what another would have done in his place. Most likely the Gurmlachs would be brought back to civilization for show, the mother might have gotten worse, and there would be no chance to release them back into the wild. That was ideal for the family to live back in the wild, instead of captivity. Even if the wild meant distinct poplars' trash yards, sewers, or back alleys, even Albron and Aluk, who had personally contributed to the creature's near extinction, knew what was best for their survival. And that's why Bren knew it, too. With the proper means and time, Bren could construct a limited habitat for the Gurmlachs to live while the mother rested. Then, when it was time, he could loose them back into the city to survive on their own, where they might be found by someone else, someone more interested in sport than the rediscovery of an animal who was thought to be distinct. Someone who was more interested in what a dead Gurmlach offered than saving the fantastic animals. By consulting the old tomes, one could read long paragraphs that celebrated the Gurmlach for the very special things that they offered. The glassy eyes of a Gurmlach could be nibbled upon to relieve mouth aches. The thick jelly-like substance bursts onto your tongue, which you then would distribute over your gums. The animal's brain was thought to be consumed in an order to heighten memory. The meat under the skin of its long serpentine body was said to be juicy and sweet. 
Its claws could be ground and mixed and combined with other infusions to make pain easers. Adults had two small sacks of a very light toxin, so harmless it was like an intoxicant or an aphrodisiac. Run wasn't sure what that meant exactly. When he was out far enough in the neighborhood, he found an empty city park and decided to dig a hole with his collapsible spade. True, he could have just thrown the dead Germlack in the trash and been done with it. However, what if this family weren't the only surviving Germlacks in the city? What if there were more, thriving somewhere unseen by the eyes of human beings? A dead Germlack would begin to stink and could send the others back into hiding. The Germlack mate of the mother and the sire of her younglings should be considered more specifically. If what his grandfather had said was always true, then it could be risky to idly toss the dead youngling into the trash for fear that the sire might be put off. In the past, during a time when these creatures were plentiful, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if a dead Germlack turned others away for the first time as the smell lasted. But now, however, now that the very future of the species reintroduced was at stake, even if the chances that the sire could come across its dead younglings, and even in the unlikely chance that it might cause the sire to abandon his small patch of territory, sending it away could ruin everything for Bren and his plans. Round and round, spiraling down, far enough that his eyes could peek over the edge. The boy dug and dug and dug so that he might make a hole so deep that no scent of death could be found. While he dug, his mind fell back into its usual absent-minded routine. He couldn't help but get distracted and began to remember what the old books had said about the special qualities of the Germlack, specifically the very tempting taste of the dead ones. It had been a delicacy that Grandfather had presented to wealthy statesmen and city officials. Long strips of sweet-tasting meat served with oil and caviar wound around small thin sticks and consumed piece by piece. That was what the old man had liked the most about Germlax, and to be honest, Bren's curiosity about just that sort of thing had been piqued. It was emphasized by his growling stomach, forcing him to take a break from his task at hand. Sitting down in the hole, he produced some of the dry ration, bland and tasteless jerky that forced him to grind his teeth back and forth. Nothing like the soft, tasty meat of the Germlack that his grandfather had gone on and on about when Bren was younger. The boy immediately thought back to the possibilities of what his grandfather said, and whether or not it might have been true. In his mind's eye, he could see images of a hundred sticks of fresh Germlack raised in his honor before patrons dined upon them heavily. His own, seemingly endless portion, fed to him by ample and beautiful women in top-heavy low-cut dresses, the same level of luxury that his grandfather had enjoyed, and now it could be his as well, if he was willing to do just this one thing. It would be better to skin the young Germlack and cook it on a spit.
You've been listening to The Germlax, Part 1, by Matt Herzberg. Copyright August 9th, 2017. For more episodes like this one, as well as ebooks and other details about the city of Distinct Poplar, feel free to visit us on our website at distinctpoplar.com. <laughs>